And welcome back to yet another episode of Ball With Y'all. It's so great to have you here today. Listen, we've got a lot of great content. I don't want to belabor the point too much, but we are so glad to have you here today. Whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Radio Public or Breaker or wherever else, Google Podcasts, so great to have you there. Or if you're watching on YouTube, again, I encourage you to check us out on YouTube. It seems as though YouTube is the preferred platform as of late, and I'm not opposed to that. Hopefully you're enjoying that side of our production now that we've introduced it here in season two. Again, so glad to have you here today. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, share it with your friends because we do go into a lot of great content that I think your friends, your family, whoever else might enjoy as well. Like I said, a lot of great content today. Our three main stories, right? Three main themes for today. We're going to talk about the wild SEC West coaches. What all is happening in the SEC West, particularly at Auburn and Texas A&M? We'll also get into NASCAR. The preseason just wrapped up this past Sunday. I'm going to talk about how NASCAR has kind of in some ways become the new NBA. And then we'll go into, of course, our Super Bowl preview as we were just days away from Super Bowl 56. See, last week I didn't know the number. I now know the number thanks to my mom because, you know, she makes a sign. The sign right there, 56, Super Bowl 56, just days away. So with that said, let's get into story number one. So listen, story number one, you know, there's a lot to to get into here. We just wrapped up National Signing Day a few days ago, I guess about a week ago now. There wasn't a whole lot of big news when it comes to storylines, right? There wasn't a lot of big news when it comes to, uh, you know, big signings. None of that really happened. We kind of already knew what was going to happen going into the day up. We saw Texas A&M come away with the top class, the best class ever to exist. It topped Alabama's class in 2021, the best class to ever exist. Texas A&M just signed. We also saw Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Texas round out the top five. Not a whole lot of drama there. We didn't learn a whole lot on National Signing Day like we thought we might have. But the headlines, they came from one particular area and particularly in the press conferences, right? And really just one press conference that really gave us a lot to chew on on Wednesday. Jimbo Fisher, head coach for Texas A&M, he went off on accusations. I'm going to read over here just so you know, because we got a lot of quotes here. Uh, went off on accusations about uh, name, image, and likeness money and how that kind of influenced their ability to have such a strong recruiting class. There were a number of folks who either directly referenced it, directly said Texas A&M, or I wouldn't say cheated, but kind of bought their way to the best class or other folks who indirectly said it. Um, Jimbo over here, he said, to have coaches in our league, and across this league to say, say whatever, they're clown acts. He called them clown acts. He continued, he said, and the guys griping about name, image, likeness, and transfer portal, and so on, they are using it to the most and, and bragging about it the most as well. That's the ironic part. It's all a joke. So now Jimbo, he's commenting on the idea that, you know, whether you're a proponent of name, image, and likeness, um, or the idea of paying players, playing paying college athletes, or if you're a proponent of using the transfer portal and beefing up your team via the transfer portal, these folks, what he's saying is that, you know, you can say one thing, but clearly everyone is benefiting from it. And what he's specifically referring to is one head coach down at, down at Ole Miss. We'll talk about him in a moment. He continued by threatening retaliation saying, I'll tell you what, I know some of these guys recruit too. Go dig into that. I know the history. I know the tradition. I know things. Trust me, you don't want to go down that avenue. Again, a little bit of a threatening tone there from Jimbo. And 
it almost feels like he's he's a little defensive here, right? And I don't I don't really understand why because it's funny. Uh, back in December, Jimbo he was kind of flippant about all this, right? He said on Paul Feinbaum's show talking about name, image, and likeness back in December of 2021. He said there's always been name, image, and likeness stuff going around. It just wasn't legal, right? And he says it there, and you know you can you can read into that. And you can say, okay, well. Is he suggesting that he was one who benefited from name, image, and likeness rules and regulations or lack thereof at one point in time? Or is he saying that other folks did and that he's clean? I don't really believe that he's been clean this whole time. Back when he was at Florida State, I'm of the mindset he probably paid some players to get there. Now that he's at Texas A&M, a school that's got a lot of booster money, I wouldn't really be surprised if name, image, and likeness or lack thereof rules allowed him to benefit heavily over the past few years and sign some pretty strong classes and get it to a point where they could beat and compete with the Alabamas and the Georgias and so on. Right. And ultimately, you know, of course this comes after Lane Kiffin on Tuesday of last week, I believe he said Texas A&M was going to incur a salary tax and how much they paid for their signing class. Again, commenting on the fact that most likely Jimbo Fisher did not just recruit this class. He did not just recruit the best class in the country probably accurate right because you know AM is not exactly a destination that you want to go to to win a championship to compete for championships right but if they can pay you a lot of money to maybe get close to that or maybe compete against an alabama or compete against a georgia or compete against an lsu or an auburn sure right and you know there are some rumors as to how much uh, AM was paying and so on i don't really know how much they paid their players how much they they dished out to get their guys to sign with AM and to ultimately sign the best class ever. But, you know, was Kiffin right in his assessment saying that Texas AM was probably going to go through the proverbial salary cap on this? Probably, right? And is Jimbo right to get upset and, and be defensive? He's also probably right on that front as well. But, you know, Jimbo knows that money is the reason that his class just signed on and is the best class to ever exist. And he knows to that point that he's been doing it for years too, right? He says all these other guys have been doing it. He's just as guilty. So I'm not of the mindset that he has any room to be defensive or as defensive as, as he has been. I understand him wanting to defend himself, but again, you've been doing this for a while and now people are calling you out about it. That's just the fact of life at this point in time. And ultimately speaking, it doesn't matter if you go out there and win in the fall and moving forward. It's another thing if, you know, come a couple of years from now and you're still eight and four, you're still nine and three. Because ultimately, whether Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney or whoever else, whether they're paying their players, it doesn't matter because they're going out there and actually performing and winning those games. Nick Saban continues to get the best classes because he has the ability to, tra- to transfer that talent into performance on the field. Clemson also just had a really strong recruiting class. That's not because Clemson's an, an ideal destination. And it's not because Dabo's just shelling out money left and right. No, it's because when they do have talent and when they do get talent, they pay them a little bit of money, but not too much, just enough. They give them a little bit of money. And then all of a sudden he turns that talent into progression and, and, and production on the field. You're seeing the same thing. A number of institutions, Ohio state, right? There's a reason they're up there, Georgia. There's a reason that they are up there. I don't quite understand Texas being in the top five probably goes back to the whole money thing. But still, a very good opportunity for Jimbo here to shut up the haters. He didn't have to say anything. 
in his press conference on last Wednesday. All he has to do now is go out there and perform. Because ultimately, I guess eight and four this past year, eight and four is not going to cut it moving forward, right? Especially when you had the number one recruiting class. Part of the reason that Hugh Freeze, I know there are a number of reasons as to why Hugh Freeze ended up leaving or ended up getting fired by Ole Miss. Hugh Freeze was racking up top recruiting classes left and right. And then he had a couple of recruiting violations here and there. And ultimately speaking, the, the, the cost that he incurred for the, for the university and for the program was not equivalent to, to, to the value that he was bringing in. And for now, it's going to make a lot of sense for Jimbo and, and the boosters or whoever else to send out money as part of these name, image, and likeness deals. It makes a lot of sense. But if in a couple of years, Jimbo hasn't gotten to that point where he's, he's reached that level of success, then what you're probably going to see is he'll probably get kicked out the door. I wouldn't be surprised if Jimbo's not the head coach in the next or come 2026. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. It's a steep buyout, so you never know. But ultimately, if he doesn't succeed in the near future with all the talent that he's just brought in, supposedly by himself without the help of money, you got to wonder how long he can hold on to the reins there, especially when you really do think about it and realize that the only reason he's got these players is because of the money. So imagine what they could do if they had a guy who could actually convert that talent into production on the field. Thanks to, well, not thanks to, but in addition to the money that is being, that is being used to bring in these players. I'm not a big Jimbo fan. And this situation only continues to, uh, bury him as far as I'm concerned when it comes to his ability to recruit and bring Texas A&M to the next level. Now, as far as being buried, there is another storyline that goes beyond the scope of, of all of, of Texas A&M, of Jimbo, really kind of goes beyond the scope of the SEC West, although it affects one school specifically in the SEC West. And this goes back to, uh, if you had the opportunity to join us last week, uh, I had a little bit of a disclaimer at the beginning of episode three where I said, you know, we record on Monday nights. And here we are, once again, Monday night. And I really hope that there's not a headline that comes out tomorrow morning. Because if so, you're going to get another disclaimer based off what we're going to talk about right here. Brian Harson, right? Brian Harson, the current, as I sit here today, at um, 8.48 p.m. on Monday night, is the head coach for the Auburn Tigers football team. I'm not convinced that he'll be the head coach by the end of the week. Right. And there are a number of reasons as to why that's the case. Uh, we'll get into it here. There are rumors swirling right now as far as Brian Harson and his future with the Auburn Tigers. This comes after his second offensive coordinator, Austin Davis, has left the program. Of course, Mike Bobo was fired not too long ago as well. Derek Mason just took a pay cut by about $400,000 to go to Oklahoma State and be their defensive coordinator. So I believe now Harson's down four or five coordinators since he first started about 18 or so. I guess it's not 18 months ago, like 14 months ago. Not a good look right now if you're Brian Harson as far as your coordinators. ESPN reported Friday that Auburn has been interviewing outgoing players and coaches and investigating how Harson treated them. I don't know who called for that investigation, right? I know there's some some drama because the president, you're going to get a new president here shortly. And then the athletic director is kind of on thin ice. And then to that extent, you know, if, if, if the athletic director is on thin ice, how does that look for the head coach? There's a lot of unknowns as far as the higher level leadership at Auburn. That's kind of been a repeated theme. If you think about uh, Gene Chizik and, and Tommy Tupperville and, and Gus Malzahn, that's always been a theme where the athletic directors and head coaches usually don't align their vision with the university presidents and so on at Auburn especially. 
And it seems like something we're going to continue to see, see as a repeated theme here in the near future. Auburn President Jay uh, Gogue, I believe is his last name, Jay Gogue, said Auburn is looking to move quickly to assess the situation and make a decision. Just the other day, there was a statement from Auburn University. I'll read it to you um, just to give you a frame of reference as to where they are right now. It said, the Auburn administration is judiciously collecting information from a variety of perspectives, including our student athletes, and moving swiftly to understand any issues in accordance with university policies and procedures. Decisions regarding the future of Auburn and its athletic programs, as always, are made in the interest of our great university and fairness to all concerned. We do not make institutional decisions based on social media posts or media headlines. Which, okay, yeah, you don't make decisions based off what the, what the internet says. That's a great idea. Good job. Proud of you. But it's really interesting because I really wasn't expecting to see that today. I wasn't expecting for the, for the wheels to fall off so quickly for Brian Harson. When he was hired, I wasn't a big fan of him, right? I didn't see the fit. And honestly, you know, I've told you who I support. We know who I support, right? And when Auburn fired Gus Malzahn, my first reaction was like, okay, well, I guess that that's cool because I wasn't really, I was terrified of Gus Malzahn. Let's just get it out there. I was terrified of Gus Malzahn. He was a great coach. He gave Alabama nightmares. And to that point, when he was fired, I laid awake at night, afraid of who Auburn might hire. Thought about, well, there's Hugh Freeze over at Liberty. He knows how to beat Alabama. Or there's, or there's, um, there's Billy Napier, current, well then, head coach of Louisiana Lafayette, now current Florida Gator head coach. Thought, you know, he's a former Saban assistant. He just might be able to do it. They didn't get him. And ultimately, you know, there were a number of guys that I thought would have been more appropriate for Auburn. And here we are again, for whatever reason, after, after only a year where Brian Harson, it seemed like he was starting to click in the middle of the year. And all of a sudden, we're now in the, the trenches of what seems to be his way out of town. Speaking of which, he's literally out of town right now. He's on vacation. So all this is happening while he's not even in the country, which kind of seems orchestrated in some way, but we're not going to get to that. So since the season, Auburn has lost 20 players via the transfer portal, I believe, 2025, 20, somewhere in that neighborhood. They are a mess by all accounts. And, you know, there's been some other aspects that have been brought up, talking about his personal life and his family and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to get into that. Feel free to look it up if you want to. Uh, that's not my prerogative. I hate when head coaches and their personal lives get brought into this conversation as to whether they're good uh, coaches or leaders of men. I don't really like that. Like if, if your wife is doing whatever or your daughter doing whatever, feel free, let them do their thing. As long as you're still a good coach and a great leader of the men in the locker room, um, I want to keep you on as my head coach, right? But if it affects the program, if their personal lives affect the program, it, I understand it, right? And it seems as though, again, I'm not going to talk about it because it's not my business, but if you feel, if you feel led to, feel free, look it up what Brian Harson's family, what some of the rumors are right now. And if that is true, he's lost all respect in that locker room and you have to let him go, right? We already know he's lost all momentum, right? And it seems as though it's not trending in the right direction for him to be there for too long. I would say maybe even a couple of weeks. We'll see. We'll see how far, but here's the other aspect of it. This is from Pete Thamel, ESPN's uh, Pete Thamel. If Auburn was to fire Brian Harson not for cause and pay him the full buyout, that would be nearly $40 million committed to coaches who aren't coaching in the last 14 months for Auburn. We know 
Auburn paid more than $20 million to get rid of Gus Malzahn. The same idea here for Brian Harson. Those buyouts are going to crush their programs, but if they have the boosters that want to shell out the money to get rid of Brian Harson, feel free to do it. And again, the way that we're trending right now, you know, Harson at one point was trending to be the SEC coach of the year. After they kind of figured things out against Georgia State and started to be on the uptick and beat, all, beat uh, Arkansas and so on, it looked like they could really change the direction of their season and change Harson's early trajectory as a head coach. But now I would be surprised if we see him as the head coach, honestly, come this spring game in April. We'll see, but things are not looking good right now for Brian Harson. So if you're Jimbo, you know, you probably keep your mouth shut, but you know, I get where you're coming from. You're doing great things. And honestly, keep paying the players. You're, you're doing fine as is, but you have to win. And you have to win now to continue to keep that momentum moving forward. As far as Harson, though, there is no momentum. And honestly, it's not a good position for him. And I don't know who Auburn's – I don't know if Auburn's going to get rid of him. I don't know if they're going to try to sweep him under the rug. I don't know. But like I said, I feel like he's lost the respect of that locker room. I think there's a reason you're seeing all these guys transfer away. And to that extent, why would why would the defensive coordinator take a $400,000 pay cut to go to another university in the middle of Oklahoma? Auburn was a top defensive program last year. Not like top of the country, but somewhere toward the top in the nation. I don't understand why all these guys would leave unless there's an issue with Brian Harson, unless there's an issue with his with his with his professionalism, with the respect that he had in the locker room or lack thereof. And honestly, it's not a great position to be in if you are an Auburn Tiger fan. Anyway, we'll get more into that. We'll keep an eye on that situation again. Hopefully, he doesn't get fired here in the next 24 hours. That would be very unfortunate, but we'll see how that situation progresses. On to story number two. So NASCAR, they made their triumphant return on Sunday. We saw them in the clash at the Coliseum. It was a fun event. It was a preseason event, right? And Joey Logano, he won, uh, just edging out Kyle Busch, who ended up leading most of the race. And, you know, it was a really it was a really great event because usually the preseason is pretty boring, right? You think about most sports, NFL preseason. When was the last time you watched an NFL preseason like you actually watched it and wanted to see what happened? Or the NBA preseason. I couldn't tell you last time I watched an NBA preseason game. Does the major – I guess Major League Baseball is like spring training or something, right? And they have some, some like preseason games, I guess. I don't know. NHL preseason, nobody watches, right? You barely ever watch a preseason game with any interest, right? You watch postseason because that means something. There's, there's actual value there. Preseason, you don't really care, right? I'm making assumptions on your behalf, but I know you probably don't care about preseason uh, sports in general. But the clash was anything but boring, right? They had, you know, we had, we had learned a lot from, from this race, right? And there's a lot that remains to be seen. You had the new next-gen car. There was a lot of, of headlines that we, going into this that we, we knew we would learn more about. And then we also walked away with a lot of information as far as the road ahead. And to that extent, a lot more questions as to the road figuratively and literally ahead. Uh, now, what has the NBA done over the past few years, right? Um, they focus on being an entertainment product, right? And they do it really well. I was at a Heat game not too long ago, uh, Miami Heat game, and uh, they played the Toronto Raptors, right? They, they ended up losing in triple overtime. It was a wild game. But 
what I realized as I sat there watching this NBA game was that they were doing something to cater to every single person in the audience, right? They were, they had some, some, some folks dancing and some folks singing and some games for the kids and all these different pieces, right? Some videos, everything to engage with the fan, right? You go to, go to a college football game or go to an NFL game. Usually it's just about the game, right? And the NBA is not just about the game. It's more about a whole family entertainment experience. And what I watched as I sat there this past Sunday watching the clash of the Coliseum is that NASCAR is embracing the idea of it being a whole family entertainment experience. You saw Ice Cube, you saw Pitbull. They had grand marshals from like every single sport out there, like every sport. You could go through every sport. Women's beach volleyball was out there. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was supposed to be there to represent the NBA. Every sport you could think of, they had DJs during cautions as well. So they really embraced the idea of it being more than just an event, more than just a race. It's an experience. They're trying to, to really interact with every single type of fan. And they're also reaching out to new demographics, right? Talk about Pitbull. Obviously, he brings out a new demographic than uh, Clint Boyer's fans would or Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s fans would. Traditionally speaking, I would assume that Dale Earnhardt Jr. fans don't necessarily listen to Pitbull's music all the time or Ice Cube, right? Same idea there. You can't really imagine. I can't pick out that many uh, racing fans that traditionally listen to Ice Cube all the time, but they're really embracing diversity and it's going to help the sport continue to grow, right? And as the NBA and some other sports continue to crumble, it seems like NASCAR is taking the opportunity and striking when the iron's hot to uh, advance their brand, right? And NASCAR, they are replacing some of the outdated, um, boring aspects of sport really nicely. And, you know, what remains to be seen as to how they're going to continue to integrate this throughout the season. But the clash is a great sign, not just for not just for the, the content of the races. Right. Which, again, we learned a lot. We'll talk more about it in the weeks to come with the Daytona 500 in just about a week and a half. A lot to take apart there. Really, I analyze. Right. But from a from an event standpoint, NASCAR is doing what the NBA thought they could do. Right. And we, we've talked about it before. Or maybe I have. I don't know if I've gone to it too extensively, but. The NBA's ratings are falling apart, and a lot of that's due to politicization and a number of other things, right? NASCAR does not do that. They, they, they take their foot back, and they're like, you know, we're not going to talk about that. What we are going to do is we're going to give you a great product, and now we're going to give you an, an entertainment experience, right? It's not just about the race and watching the cars go around 300 laps and watching the pit, uh, the pit stops and everything like that. It's not just about that. It's not just watching for caution flags and, and hoping it doesn't rain. It's not just about those pieces. Now, more than ever, it seems, NASCAR has embraced the NBA model. And when I say embracing the NBA model, they understand that their product, like I said, has to be more about the entertainment experience, has to be about embracing not only different age groups, right, but also embracing different types of fans, diverse fans. Daniel Suarez, number 99. Daniel Suarez is the only Mexican NASCAR driver in the Cup Series. And he might be the only... Mexican NASCAR driver. I'm just not too familiar with that. But in the Cup Series, the top level in NASCAR, the only Mexican NASCAR Cup Series driver. A few years ago, that would have been unthinkable. And now he's out there. He had a pretty decent shot to win on Sunday. In fact, I believe he won one of his heats. They had four heats before the main race. I believe he won one of those heats. And of course, Pitbull is the team owner, which is part of the reason he's out there performing and so on. 
they're catering to a new audience. That's not just your typical Southern bubble or, or, you know, some folks might equate it to rednecks or whatever else. They're not your typical NASCAR fan or to that extent, Bubba Wallace. You know, some people have a lot of, lot of thoughts on Bubba Wallace, right? Some, some good, some bad. I'm not exactly the world's biggest Bubba Wallace fan, but what he's done for the sport is taken them from a, for particularly both him and, and Michael Jordan, have taken that, that sport from just a, what most people would think as far as the demographics go and continuing to expand their brand, right? Having Michael Jordan associated with NASCAR, again, 10 years ago, unthinkable. And now he's at the forefront of the sport. And Bubba Wallace is probably going to do a really, really, he's probably going to make a lot of progress this year. You know, last year he wasn't all that great. He's probably going to make some more progress this year. And if he does so, just imagine how much that brand is going to continue to grow in years to come. Because 2311 Racing, which is Michael Jordan's brand uh, or racing team with Bubba Wallace on it, they, you know, they're a small, small team, only a couple of folks on the team, I believe. But they have an opportunity to continue to expand NASCAR's brand as they begin to understand that NASCAR is more about just a race. Well, that's double meaning there. NASCAR has understood very quickly that to continue to keep pace with, with streaming services and other things, you have to focus on more than just your sport as far as the actual content of the event goes. You have to add all these frills and bells and whistles to make the event enjoyable for all ages. And to that extent, they've also learned that you have to cater to more folks that beyond your, your traditional bread and butter, right? Because the folks that watched NASCAR 10 years ago, that's great. They're your core, but you can continue to expand upon those folks with the likes of Ice Cube performing at the halftime or half, I guess the, the, the mid-race mid break, whatever else, Pitbull being a part of the sport. You're going to continue to expand and really embrace diversity, which is a, a big talking point right now. So kudos to NASCAR for becoming the new NBA and are really excited for the season ahead. Again, we're going to talk more about NASCAR throughout the season. We'll start off with the Daytona 500 on, uh, I guess that'll be on February 20th. So we'll talk about what we saw in the Daytona 500 on, uh, on that episode thereafter. I'm really looking forward to a wild season. I, I don't know who's going to win this year, who's going to win the championship. But what I do know is that we are in store for a lot of fun things just based off of the clash at the Coliseum that we saw on Sunday. On to our last item here for the show, story number three. Story number three, we're going to get into a Super Bowl preview. Again, Super Bowl 56 this time around. Los Angeles Rams, they are a four-point favorite against the Cincinnati Bengals. The over-under is sitting at 50 points. Now, I got to say, it's been a while since I've done this whole spread and pick them thing, so <laughs> really looking forward to this. The Rams, they are favored by, or I guess, like I said, four, but that's really just the home, home kind of perception, if you will, the home value. I'll explain that briefly. Um, traditionally speaking, in the NFL, if you are the home team, you're going to get three points, right? So if you're if you the two teams are basically even, they they are the, the same one one like the other. The home team is probably going to be favored by three points because they're basically saying the home field is worth a field goal. In this case, of course, we know the Los Angeles Rams are playing at home, not necessarily because by design, but just because the Super Bowl is in SoFi Stadium this this year. And Los Angeles just so happens to play in that stadium on a regular basis. So again, the Rams are favored, but I don't really know how much that's worth. If you take away the home field advantage, it's basically a one point spread. Cincinnati, they have a lot more momentum right now offensively. It didn't really look that like they had a whole lot of momentum in the first half against the Kansas City Chiefs. Only, I guess, three points in that first half or so. Maybe it was 10, I'm not sure, but 
not a great start for them in the, the AFC Championship game, but they started to click toward the end. Jamar Chase is a great receiver for Joe Burrow. We all know about Joe Burrow, what he's doing right now in his second year in the NFL, uh, recovering from uh, knee surgery a year ago. Joe Mixon, a great running back for them as well. A lot of great other weapons like T. Higgins, and we'll see if Uzoma can play for the Bengals as well. He's a great tight end for them as well. As far as Los Angeles, you know, they're a pretty good team all around, but they have a lot more weapons defensively, right? Aaron Donald, great, great defensive end or defensive tackle, one of two. He's an incredibly gifted athlete, right? Coming out of Pittsburgh, and he has done some incredible things and broken some records in his time, and I feel like he is, this could be his moment. Von Miller has Super Bowl experience, has Super Bowl winning experience with the Broncos, I want to say in 2015 or so. He knows what it looks like to win a Super Bowl. Jalen Ramsey, former defensive back for the Jacksonville Jaguars, came out of Florida State. He, again, knows what success looks like. He knows what you need to do to win a national, or in this case, a Super Bowl. He, I don't think he's done it himself, but he knows what it takes to win on the big stage. Some other great athletes on the field as well for the Rams. I believe they've got Eric Weddle and some other guys. So across the board, you know, if you compare the two teams, Los Angeles is better in just about every facet. I like their offense over Cincinnati's offense, even though Cincinnati's offense is a little bit more momentum right now. I like, I like OBJ, right? Odell Beckham Jr. I like, I like Matt Stafford coming out of Georgia. You know, it's been 13 years since he was drafted out of the Georgia, out of the, out of Georgia. I like him a lot. You know, Sonny Michelle, they got via trade from the, from the New England Patriots. Sonny Michelle knows what it takes to win on the big stage. He won the Rose Bowl basically single-handedly in 2017. They've got a number of great athletes out there. Cooper Cup, right? And just imagine how good the Rams would be if they had their full complement. Because you might recall Robert Woods tore his ACL in the middle part of the season as well. But, you know, I talk about the defense for Los Angeles. I think it's important for us to not forget about Cincinnati giving up like a million sacks against against Tennessee. Like, I was that the first game, the divisional round for Tennessee? Like a million sacks, right? Cincinnati could not protect Joe Burrow whatsoever. So do you know how difficult it's going to be for Aaron Donald and for Jalen Ramsey and, and, and Von Miller to stop those guys? They're going to be coming after Burrow, and they're probably going to be hitting them a few times unless they figure out their struggles on that side of the offensive line of scrimmage. Now, I don't really care who wins this game. Normally, I have a, I have a rooting interest, right? Uh, in 20, or last year, right? I was watching that game and I was like, okay, well, there's a few more, um, few more SEC players on that side of the ball. So I'll, I'll root for Tampa Bay, right? And so they had OJ Howard from Alabama. They had uh, Leonard Fournette from LSU and some other guys as well. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm an SEC guy, so I'll support them. And it worked out fine, right? And then this year, I'm kind of conflicted because, you know, there's great SEC talent on both sides. We talked about Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow and Sonny Michelle and Jamar Chase, right? And defensively, the same idea. There's, from as far as like a homer standpoint, there's two Alabama guys on the Cincinnati side, two guys on the LA side with Terrell Lewis and Ashawn Robinson for LA, and uh, and Damian Square and Jonah Williams for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I really don't care as to who wins this game. Normally I have a rooting interest in this game. I don't really mind. Now I think the Rams should win this game. I think they should absolutely win this game, but I tend to be wrong, right? And so I'm, this is not me hedging my bet because, again, I don't, have a, I don't have a pick here as far as, like, I don't really care what happens. But 
if I if I had to pick just based off of my my jinx over over the last few weeks, I'll go with the better storyline over what the experts have to say. I think the Rams should win this game, but for some reason we know now when I pick the team that should win, they don't win. So I'm going to try this way instead and say that Cincinnati will win the game. I'll say Cincinnati wins. The legend of Joe Burrow continues, and the Bengals win 24 to 19. So where do we go today? Well, we talked about the wild SEC West when it comes to coaches. Talked about talked about Jimbo Fisher and what is he doing? And, and does he really need to defend himself? And is he right to defend himself? And what does the road ahead look like for Texas A&M due to all their recruiting success and most likely the use of, of name, image, and likeness to get that recruiting success? What does that look like moving forward? We talked about Brian Harson, And is Brian Harson really going to be the head coach for a while at Auburn? I, I don't tend to think so. Maybe you do, and we'd love to hear from you if you do think so, but it really doesn't look all that likely for Brian Harson right now. We talked about how NASCAR has become the new NBA, how they've really embraced the idea of being an entertaining product alongside their actual substantial product as a sport. And of course, we gave you our Super Bowl pick ahead of Super Bowl 56 on this, uh, this Sunday. We're going with Cincinnati and Joe Burrow, and Jamar Chase, and Joe Mixon, and so many other great, talented players to overcome the home team, the Los Angeles Rams, by a score of 24-19, to 19, Cincinnati's first Super Bowl in, like, forever. So, at least in my lifetime. That's probably at least 30, 40 years. I don't know. A very long time for the Bengals. It'd be great to see. So, that'll wrap it up for today's show. I hope you enjoy the Super Bowl this Sunday. I hope you enjoy uh, Super Bowl, I guess, the NFL award ceremony. I guess we'll find out who the MVP will be in the coming days. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a great Wednesday. And as always, thanks so much for allowing us to talk some ball with y'all.